Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that started this decade by beating Celtic and ended it the same way. This week on Heart and Hand, Stephen Gerrard goes ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar, and I am joined this week by a stellar lineup of pundits, people who were at the game yesterday, and those of us, unfortunately, I had to make do on the television. First, it's ticket wrangler, extraordinaire, bus runner, and mysteriously always manages to get one for Parkhead. It's Andy McGowan. <laughs> Hello, folks. Please be here. Next up is sold his soul to the devil for a ticket and uh, certainly seemed to have an enjoyable day nonetheless. It's Adam Thornton. It was absolutely fantastic, David. Hello. Your voice is fucked. <laughs> it is actually, yeah. <laughs> ah, why not? And uh, like me, he was forced to watch it on television, but enjoyed it not one bit less. It's Alex Staff. Hello. Well, gentlemen, it has been a long time. It's been. It's well over nine years, almost ten, since we watched a Rangers team win at Parkhead, and in a way, I think that you could not, Andy, have had a more perfect signifier that this decade, which if someone was to plot on a graph, I think would resemble a U shape. Um, I think is now over, and we can look forward to normality returning in the twenties. You certainly hope that. Um, there's a lot of parallels with last year, this time last year, but it feels different this time. I think they feel differently about it. Um, I think the way we played um, on the 29th has just uh, given it an added dimension that this isn't a flash in a pan. This isn't just a fluke win. This is something that should have happened in the cup final. And you hope that it bodes well, but we, we often remember the, the Joe Burrow horror show at Camarlo in the first game back after the break last year. And I, I hope that the lessons have been learned for that. 
I think probably you know the, the most encouraging thing about this side this season is they they still make mistakes, of course, but they learn really quickly. And uh, there's been so many things that are different from last season, and I think we saw it again yesterday. Even Adam, the cup final, I think a lot of us, even us, maybe wrote off as a bit of a freak game because Rangers were so dominant, missed so many chances. It was just an extraordinary game of football. And you would think that the chances of a match like that occurring again are, are few and far between. And I think that maybe even we as Rangers fans felt, well, they can't possibly play as badly as that again. And then you realise maybe now, hang on, this wasn't they played badly. This was they were not allowed to play. And given that Rangers 21 days later have gone out in their own ground in front of just 800 of our own fans and performed exactly the same way, that's not a fluke, that's a pattern. It's not. It is a pattern, you're right, and I'm, I'm thankful for it because that, that cup final, the whole thing around it, the performance and the result, that could quite easily ruin a team and, and ruin a season because it's just one of those where you think, God, what exactly do we need to do to, to win this or to win, a, to win a trophy, to get that next step on the, the recovery? What do we need to do? So the most pleasing aspect of yesterday for me was that we just came out and went, well, fuck you, we're just going to do the same thing again. And uh, it paid off dividends. Alex, I think that for me, what was so encouraging was I've seen better or more successful Rangers team, I'll be fair, go to Parkhead and treat the ball like an unwanted Celtic supporting stepchild. And it was also something that you saw in in Europe a lot, where we'd get caught up in mayhem or tension or whatever and not look after the ball, not do the things that that we do in normal matches. And of course, old form matches can be frenetic as well. This team have shown me in these last two games that they have developed in Europe that they can do this. And we saw it. We saw it. That's why we're through our group. We saw it against teams of the quality of Porto and Final. But they did it yesterday as well, where they said, well, we're just going to play our game. And it reminded me in a, in a slightly strange way of the May 1999 game where we won the title there. And the... Rangers just went and played their game and kept calm and kept focused and didn't get involved in any of their nonsense. And when we let our football do the talking, I think it was quite clear to anyone watching that we are a, quite a special team. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, David. We've, we've grown. People talk about European football as being a bit of a bonus. In fact, some people would have argued at the start of the season that they almost didn't want to qualify for the group stages because they had to concentrate in the league and it was too many games. But this team's still growing and they're learning so much from that level of of their opponent that, yeah, that's what that's what builds into these sort of performances against Celtic. We, we've now got the confidence. We look at their team and they think, well, we've done this against better sides this season. So why can't we go and do it against them? And it's, it's definitely uh, definitely paying huge dividends there. The biggest, uh, the biggest plus for me yesterday, the cup final was a bit different. I think the cup final was an even more dominant performance than yesterday, personally, um, they'd won. You know, they'd won shot on target. And it should never have been allowed in, in the game. To stand, in the cup final. Yeah. yeah, that shouldn't have been allowed to stand. So, you know, it was it was more dominant for me in, in the cup final. Uh, the biggest thing for me yesterday there was they got their penalty, and then they had a little bit of pressure, and then we went up the park and scored. We didn't. You've said that you, you got it right. We've seen far more successful, more experienced Rangers teams go there, and maybe start a game well. But then once they get into it after 20 minutes, we'd, as you say, we'd be as well, all we're doing is just backs to the wall and hoping for the best. A lot, in, in many games there, and we've had some absolute doings. But, uh, but yeah, this team, 
they've got a lot of confidence and bravery. The, the, the first goal, um, which I'm sure will come on to very soon, sums that up. Um, but to do all of that, as I say, just as it looked as though they were getting the foothold, just as it looked as though they'd, they'd started to play, and then we just went, nope, we're not having it. Um, and then went up the park, made it 1-0, started to look better again. Just uh, sums up, as you say, just how special a group we may very well have here. We'll be judged on what we win, but um, it's hard not to get excited about them. No, and I think we've been able to get to, excited. Just to, just to expand on that point, Alex, I think Alex is spot on. David, that with the cup final was a much more dominant display, um, but there was an efficiency yesterday, um, I felt, about our play and that we didn't necessarily go for the jugular all the time. Um, we had a wee bit of control, which sometimes we, we, we struggle with. You remember in Feyenoord, we were trying to go and get the win and we try and score the third goal, but we had a wee bit of control in the second half that we thought we're just going to sit in and see what they've got. Um, we only had like, a 40-odd percent possession um, and we only completed about 200 passes, which is much, much less than the cup final, but it was a bit more of a mature performance once we got that second goal. I don't know about Andy, but I certainly felt the everything sucked out the crowd at Parkhead, um, the, the home fans, as soon as we got that second goal. And I genuinely thought, I don't know if it was because Andy wouldn't let me drink before the game, but um, <laughs> I genuinely uh, was quite serene. And I thought, if we can just stem the tide for five minutes or so here, they'll need to change it up and then the crowd will get frustrated and we just need to wait and see. Um, and to be fair, they didn't really have a huge chance after that. I felt like we managed it very, very well, which is probably one of the few things that really you could be critical of as a season is our game management late on hasn't been great in certain scenarios, but I thought it was spot on yesterday. Yeah, and I think that we have to give a lot of credit to the side, Andy, because as Adam said, all of us, the, the day of the cup final, even Alex, um, were like Captain Nemo stranded 20,000 leagues under the sea. It was just so hard to take. And we'd all looked at December and said, it's make or break for the season. Um, while you can't win the title in December, you can certainly lose it. And we looked at our fixtures, a lot of away games, a lot of tough matches, and then we'd had that shattering defeat. And it was. Um, there's no point hiding it. It was a shattering because of the manner of it, because we didn't deserve it. And the team since then have responded magnificently. They have won every match, scoring 15, only conceding three, and answered every single challenge. And in a way, Andy, I actually think that, although it was a very good disguise, we may look back at one point on the cup final defeat as a blessing in disguise because the team have shown to themselves we can overcome setbacks. And that was maybe something last season. If something went against the team, we quite often had a dodgy couple of weeks. Nothing like that this year. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I tweeted yesterday, who would have thought that the cup final would have a bigger psychological impact than Celtic than us? Because what actually happened is, I think, after the disappointment dissipated, because it was a gutter, <laughs> there's no getting away from it, right? There's just no way you can walk away from that cup final and think, oh, well, that was a shame. It was unlucky or whatever. It was just one of those freak games, but I think they go in their head, and I think they kind of knew themselves that they got away with one, and, and I think that's putting it mildly. And I think the manner we played that day and the amount of chances we made and the fact that their goalkeeper played out the game of his life and they got bits of luck all over it, I think that was in their mind that they know we had, that we were a match for them. And the mentality thing, I, I agree with you again, it's a case of last year, they were just weaker, but the, the point is that we've got a better team, and it helps when you get better players in the team, because then you can genuinely have more belief. There's, all, there's one thing having belief, 
and, and looking at your teammates and saying, I we can do this. But when you have guys like Kent in the team and when you've got Morelos playing the way he's been playing and when you've got Goldson and Katic just playing uh, at the top of their game, you can look around, look around the dressing room and actually say, there's a reason for the belief. And I think you can see in Gerard as well, in the way he carried his cell in the, in the, the um, when they say celebrations, but the reaction after the game yesterday, he's instilling that in his team, that behind closed doors, he's telling them that, look, we are a match for this team. Uh, if anything, we're a better team than on our day. And the European results that you've, you mentioned earlier on are something which you cannot buy because last season, I said at the start of the season, we were kind of forged in the the schedule we were thrown into for the Europa League. And again, I think this year it's helped that we're th- throwing it at the deep end, so to speak, but we've been better prepared this year. And I think the team has taken fantastic belief for the Porto final results and so forth. And the way we've played as well. Um, so the mentality cannot be questioned at this point because, as you say, that, that game, the cup final, could have killed us. And I worried about that. I worried that that would one, be one that just some players would not pick it up from. But we've answered that. The, the next big question against them is coming out the, the winter break, which isn't really a winter break. I don't know why we call it. It's three weeks or something. Coming out of that, how do we react and can we keep the momentum going? Because we should, and, and the fixtures are in our favour. Adam... We have to talk about it because yesterday, coming out of that match, I was elated, ecstatic, bouncy, in fact. And it, all the feelings, pride and, and joy and, and, you know, the usual sort of old firm win, but magnified by it's been over nine years and, and what it signified and the way that we went about it. So all of those feelings were there. But there was also another one that was maybe a little odd, and that was anger. And that anger was at the referee performance, which I think, and having watched the game back in full, far more relaxed, has actually hardened my opinion, was genuinely scandalous, was absolutely appalling. At best, he is not capable of refereeing at that level, if that's his honest performance. At best, he if you're looking to excuse it, you cannot, in my opinion, say that that is a referee who has the ability or the temperament to to officiate at that level. At worst, then, if any Rangers fan wants to indulge in a bit of paranoia, I'm afraid I'd need to let them because it was a shocking display, in my opinion. It, it was, um, and I have to be, I guess I have to be honest, that the, the penalty, I didn't see much wrong. We were only going by kind of text messages that were coming through and the fact that nobody seemed to be claiming for it. So I was a little bit bemused at the penalty, but I haven't seen it again. Yes, by the letter of the law, that's that's a penalty because he's he's pulling his shirt. However, there's one on Aribo uh, just before our second goal. I think it's Brown has him by the shirt as well. So there's two that's been refereed differently. If you, you need to be consistent, apply it to everybody or don't apply it to anyone. Um, and there's just blatant mistakes which cause issues. Again, the handball, um, I guess you could say fair enough, but it's literally his job to spot that. He's in the correct position to spot it and he, he's missed it. So um, that goes against him as well. And then the ridiculous uh, double standards in terms of Celtic players getting nibbles off the ball at Morelos and um, various other things. And then Kamara being booked for his, his first challenge. Uh, Barisic as well being booked for his first challenge. Morelos being booked for, I think, just being Morelos, really. That was a, a foul. I don't think that's necessary, necessarily a yellow card on, on Scott Brown. So he just looks like he can't wait. It looks like he's not in control of the game. He looks like he can't keep up with the game at points. And it looks like he needs to be seen to 
to do something. He's like a Hollywood referee. He just wants to to do something and get get something done so that he's he's had some sort of action without really understanding what he's supposed to be doing. I think it was an all round shocker again. We've had our fair share of them in the last month or so. Alex, you and I tend to try and be fair on referees because I don't think either of us want to ever believe that there's more to it than just they're bad yeah. because, you know, that way madness lies. But as as Adam alluded to there, it was the manner of the decision-making. Now, for the penalty, it, it's a penalty. I've got no problems with that. I was upset at the time, obviously. But when you see exactly the same, and he is looking at it, and his linesman is looking directly at it, where you can quite clearly see um, Joe Aribo's shirt come off his shoulder, for crying out loud, yeah. not given. And then there are several incidents where it's very difficult to do other than say this is a two-tier system. And the first one I would point out would be um, Christie, uh, who was probably trying to do something in the game other than his missed penalty, um, picks up a booking and then proceeds to have four fouls, including one where he grabs the nuts of Alfredo Morelos, doesn't get a second yellow. Ball and goalie, um, the Celtic fullback, on a yellow, hauls back... Uh, the on-rushing Alfredo Morelos in a break, which is a standard booking in any league, incidentally. You yes. see it all the time. It is a, and nobody complains because we all know you make no attempt. If you're done and you make no attempt to get the ball, Glenn Kamara was booked for the same incident. And if you watch, it's quite apparent that Clancy is running over with his hand at his pocket, sees who it is and changes his mind. And then, of course, the Morelos one. I'm not usually one who says, oh, he couldn't wait, but he actually has the yellow card out before Morelos has hit the deck fully. Yeah. It was incredible the speed he went at with that. Very hard not to think that's kind of predisposed. Um, I, I posted yesterday, and I, I, I do believe, I, I slightly disagree with Adam. Morelos' first booking, I didn't have too much issue with. Um, you know, he's, he's went in to just leave a little one on Scott Brown and it's the nature of the game, I get that. I do agree that other incidents weren't booked, so in the context of the game, there's a fair argument to say that first booking was was harsh, but uh, I didn't have too much issues at the time with it. I thought, you know, that's just a yellow card and I don't have any issues with his yellow card for the dive either. But I posted yesterday, I grew up uh, with a gentleman by the name of Billy Reid who is Scotland's top close-up magician, that's a fact he, uh, he's he been voted so um, by his peers and uh, he would have been proud of the hand speed that Clancy <laughs> showed with those cards in that game because having watched that again I could not believe how quickly that yellow card was in, Morelos, was in his hand for the Morelos dive that shouldn't have been possible if he is running up to that incident and waiting to see what happens That's not, you- it's not possible he clearly yeah. hasn't consulted his linesman. And, and watch it back, folks. Alfie isn't fully on the ground and he has the yellow card out. He, in my opinion, is running and saying, I'm watching for a dive, which yeah. is the wrong way to, to, to go about it. And Andy, it was just time after time. If, if there was a 50-50 or there was an incident, there would be one decision go one way and another type of decision go the other. Um, we can joke about it, but Kevin Clancy was by far Celtic's most effective operator yesterday. The the benefit of the doubt goes to some players. There's no question about it. And I'm go- and the example I'll use is one that might surprise you because Stephen Davis tried to take a player out yesterday, and the game went on. And me and Adam were saying he's going to boot Cam, and he forgot or he never done it. Um, so I'd put it down does- for getting <laughs> probably. 
and 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 then that's kind of and and the heat of that game, then you can understand it. But it's still no a standard that you, we need at the top of the game for refereeing. And the one that Morelos was going through in goal just before he actually gets sent off. That's what I'm talking about. The benefit of the doubt went to Celtic there when, to my mind, it was a freak. It was a, a penalty and a sending off. Why did so, he go down? If, why, you know. Well, exactly. And then in sports scene last night, and I hate to bring sports scene into it, but that's where you see the, the kind of analysis of it. Michael Stewart says, oh, I put his leg in front of him. He's putting his leg in front of him because he's in front of him. So that means he's in front of Julian, and Julian has then fouled him. So it's, a, it's as blatant a red card and penalty as you'll ever see. But again, very, very quickly, Clancy makes a decision. So the thing that bugged me with Clancy yesterday was he would never took a breath for the big decisions. Um, and and you, you mentioned there about his consulting his linesman or the rest of it. He never even thought of that. It was it, He's got an issue with Morelos. And he's not the only referee that's got an issue with Morelos. We've seen it up at Pataudry before. He's definitely got an issue with Morelos. And I'm not saying that referees are bent. I don't <laughs> think that for a second. But they're no good enough. And the when we get referees that have a good game, it's the exception. I mean, I go away for games most weeks and I'm like, ah, fucking hell, that, that wasn't even a hard game to referee and they still kind of do it. And it goes back to the old thing that I always harp on about and folk are fed up listening about it. The standard of refereeing in this country is unique because of what we let go. If we actually get up to speed with the rest of the leagues in the world, then it makes it an easier game to referee because... Uh, tackles are less meaty, they're easier to differentiate and therefore it's easier for referees to referee. Another couple just, uh, there were so many that I actually lost count, apart from the ones that we've mentioned. Stephen Davis was substituted late on and was made to go round the pitch to leave at the nearest available exit, which we were told would not be enforced in high high-pressure games when you would need to walk past the opposition supporters and wasn't enforced for the other substitutions on the day, but but somehow that one was. Uh, we then saw a two-footed tackle from Julian, which the referee would have had to have given Rangers a penalty and shown a red card, but he invented a pull by another Rangers player and gave a free kick to Celtic. And it was just decision after decision where you were sitting going, this is blatant, a, a dreadful performance. And uh, Rangers have done the right thing, in my opinion, Adam, because what they've done is uh, reacted today when we can't be accused of sour grapes, when nobody can say, oh, well, you just got beat. And they have reissued a call for VAR to be implemented. Um, in particular, the the Edward goal would have been ruled out because, as we know, you're not allowed to use your hand even accidentally in, in the build-up to a goal and certainly not to score one. Um, I think that the key the the key issue with VAR will be whether or not clubs will pay for it, and that that's always been the problem in Scotland. But I think as well there is an element of if we can't trust the guy in a park, why can we trust the guy in a van? I was um, I was quite pleased about the Davis one. I must admit because he used the opportunity to go off quite close to that back post and tell Jack to. Tell Jack to defend it while he was off. Davis absolutely loved that back post at Parkhead yesterday to, to good effect. But yeah, I'm I think coming you're to right. that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. It, it's spot on. This is the time to do it. If you're going to call it out, you call it out when you've won and there's absolutely no sewer grapes. And it's a valid point. We should have had a penalty at Pataudry, um for Morelos. Um, then obviously Hamden, there is a, there's a multitude of things going on in that game, the offside goal, etc. But when you complain right after that, it does get lost in a in a kind of sour grapes thing. Um, it gets taken less seriously. I think now is the time to do it. 
um, be interested to see who um, who comes out and backs it. If not, I know there's financial issues within the game. I think smaller teams might not want it. Um, I, I don't know whether Celtic will be in favour of it, given the amount that goes in their favour. I don't know, but your your second point is is fundamentally spot on as well. I think if the referees can't call it in the stadium and refuse to. Um, come out and apologise or say they got it wrong or, or just improve their performance game on game then someone sitting watching it on the TV isn't going to um, isn't really going to do very much I don't think so it's, it's a bit of a catch 22 but I think uh, I think it does need to come in for the good of the game and we can at least see but given how how badly applied or how loosely applied it is in England I think it could potentially open up much more cans of worms uh, up here too I think that's a key point, that it probably wasn't the best weekend for VAR in England. But again, that's not the technology, Alex. That's not using it properly. Yeah, and it's consistent as well. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and, and say that it's, it's fun to watch. You know what I mean? Because it's not. It's not. It's not been good that way this weekend. Goals getting chopped off for the sake of millimetres. But at least it's consistent. At least we're not looking at a situation where a goal which could potentially be the difference between... Well, let's be honest, the league's done in England, right? So it's not such a big deal now. But if you can imagine up here where we've got an actual genuine title chase, um, if this league is won by a couple of points and a game has been won by a goal that was blatantly offside and wasn't called, we're going to hear about it, right? Regardless of what side that falls on. And uh, at least up here, it's consi- at least down in England, it's consistent. It's kind of They need to tweak the rule a little bit. They need to stop giving offsides for somebody's armpit hair being offside um, compared to the rest of the, the defender. But, like, you know, once that gets fixed, it, it'll be a lot better. But at least every single team down there can say, well, we've had goals chopped off for that, but so have they. Um, which is not what's happening in this league where, you know, anything can go week on week, let's be brutally honest. Um, yeah, it's needed. Rangers are right, and Rangers have said this more than once. The referees up here need a hand. They need help. Uh, this isn't just a selfish thing and Celtic fans can say what they like but their manager two weeks ago told us blatantly told us if VAR was up here they would be further ahead in the league was his words um, so that sounds like a, a ringing endorsement for it from them does it not uh, we'll be, be interested to see if they mention it mm-hmm. anymore um, yeah it's a uh, there's a decent financial argument and I'd like to hear more about that in Scottish football because I do kind of think that there's some grounds where it just would be nigh on impossible to install or it would be really, really difficult if you look at like the angle we were being shown of the Norwich goal. Mm. Um and I don't know if they had a better angle of that and and the you know in the van as they keep saying. But uh but yeah, you know, if see if you were having to rely on something like that, which I think you would have to in a lot of Scottish football grounds, that wouldn't be ideal. Um, so I'd like to hear more about that and see just how feasible it is. But let's at least have a discussion. Um, no one here seems to be willing to do that. Um, and let's help the referees out if they're poor. A lot of them have been fast-tracked. A lot of them have been thrown under the bus by the SFA. Um, just flung into these games and then hung out to dry and never backed by them. So, you know, if that's what, if that's what we're facing, then let's give them all the help we can. Let's have the discussion. Let's see what it would cost, how difficult it would be, etc. Um but because it's Rangers leading the charge, I am willing to guarantee it will be met with silence. Oh, of course. We're already seeing people uh, using the NXUs to not bring it in. Anyway, let's talk about some positives because there were a hell of a lot of them yesterday. Andy, I want to talk to you about centre-halves um, because I 
think that we had our best partnership there yesterday. I don't think that Philip Hellander's anyone near a bad player, and I'm glad we've got him. He's a great option. But for some reason, Goldson and Katic, I think, just, just meld. They just gel properly. And in this instance, I think that we see a kind of confidence that floods throughout the back four when those two operate together. Conor Goldson's had a lot of uh, criticism this season. I thought he was immense yesterday. And of course, look, if we were to pick a player to score the winner, if it wasn't going to be Alfie, then I strongly suspect Nico Katic would be high up that list because Rangers fans and Nico Katic has just been a, a love at first sight and it's never really altered. Yep. Even for the start of last season, I thought Goldson and Katic dovetailed brilliantly. And when Worrell came in and kind of mixed it up, I often say Goldson and Katic were the best uh, combination. And then this year, you've got a different dynamic because we've actually got four really good centre-halves. I mean, the, the boy Edmondson, every time I've seen him, has looked really, really tidy. Um, and, and he's probably a wee bit aggrieved to have not had more uh, game time. And Hellander's been fine as well. I, I've, I've been fairly pleased with him as well. And so Katic gives another dimension because he's so aggressive in the opposition's box. And that's something that for me and you, Davey, and the others that have been brought up in Davey McPherson and Richard Goff giving, giving each other a competition to see how many goals they can score each season. That is what makes a difference between winning leagues and no winning leagues. And I've said it for a long, long time that when you're playing in games where it's nip and tuck or things aren't quite firing, you need to find a solution. We found a solution against Kilmarnock. We found a solution against St Mirren. We found a solution um, at Parkhead because we got a set piece. And it's the, the ABE kind of marginal gains that make the difference. And Katic is probably place to sell ahead of Hellander now because of that added dimension to his game. And as for Goldson, Goldson falls into the same category as Tavernier. Now, I've, I've defended Tavernier at all, time, at all times, almost blindly, because I thought to myself, here's a guy whose standards are so high, he's like a machine, he's always playing, he's never injured, um, he, he makes mistakes now and again, but his contribution is totally... Um, underestimated now because of this kind of familiarity with contempt thing. Goldson is the same. There's a reason that Gerard has got him doing first in the team sheet every week, the centre half. Um, he, he plays for the back. He's a good defender. He talks. He's a leader. He's a winner. And he's a wee bit unlucky in front of goal, the same as Katic. He should probably do more. But there's a reason that he's in there. And there's a reason that he's the same as Tavernier for me because if you take him out of the team, I think you'd notice a difference. So um, I thought they were brilliant yesterday. Edward is a, a very, very good striker and he gives him a massive problem because what he likes to do is he likes to drop and he likes to take the ball. And when you're a centre-half, it's the worst thing because what you've got to do is you've either got to follow him and take the chance you're going to be in a position and you've got to pass him on. And if you pass him on, and the way we were playing yesterday, uh, it was a problem because Kamara and... Um, Jack were the ones that were pushing it to the fullback, so basically you would be passing on to Davis. So I thought they handled them brilliantly yesterday, apart from the goal, which was probably no the centre half spot. It was a midfield. So um, I, I think we, we keep going with them, and I think there's been a reason that Gerard's no really changed his team up for December. I think he's, he's he said, look, this is close enough to the the, the top eleven and the, the the first choice back four. Um, so I I thought they were absolutely immense yesterday, and you need that if you're going to be winning the park. Kid. 
Adam, let's talk about an area of the team that I know that you get particular joy out of. I thought Rangers fullbacks, as they have been all season, were immense. And were it not for the little Colombian up front, Bonabarasic would be in contention for our player of the year. I've had one love for so long, it's nice to have a second one. Um, I think uh, I just fall. I think both of them were outstanding yesterday. Barisic just uh, just was incredible. The way that he dominates that that flank on his own, um, I thought he was fantastic. And having that, that delivery um, for both goals, which I'm sure we're going to come to, um, was huge. And, and again, I obviously have to echo Andy's point. Um, Tavernier, I thought, was terrific again yesterday. Just I think the first... The first half an hour, I don't think he missed a tackle. There was a couple where you think, oh God, is it Mikey Johnson? I think it was in the left wing is going to get going to get the better of him and he slides in and takes the ball. I thought certainly in the first half an hour he was absolutely dominant um, and he set the tone. And on the other side is Barisic. Um, it dovetails quite nicely. It's quite rare, I've said this on a few points, but it's quite rare for a team to have two so attacking fullbacks. The obvious comparison is, is Liverpool. Liverpool which yeah. we, do, we do build on on what they're doing essentially, but it's quite rare, and especially to go to Parkhead and have the confidence in your your centre halves to, to play two guys whose primary job is to hammer up and down that wing um, and be your width. It's it's quite rare, and I think it speaks volumes about how special uh, how special the two of them are. I thought both of them were outstanding. Alex, we've been praising the back four and deservedly so, but when it comes to a crucial save or two, um, there really aren't many better than Alan McGregor. We were great and we overcame adversity, but it's a completely different story if that penalty goes in because I think we all felt after the way we played, hadn't taken the lead though, they got the penalty. Had they scored, certainly I know it would have been difficult to keep the thought, here we go again, out of my head, but it it wasn't a terrible penalty or anywhere near it. Yeah, good height as, as the cliche goes, but I mean, he really thumped it and it was in the corner. And the leap from McGregor, go back and watch this if you've only seen it once or twice, folks, and you were too busy celebrating it yesterday. The leap and the power in his hands to get it away and allow Nico Katic, who celebrated it like a goal, obviously, having conceded it, it, it was top drawer. An even better save these days in many respects, because if you watch, McGregor's still got a foot on the line, um, which obviously they make a bigger deal of now. Uh, since the summer, uh, previous penalty saves goalkeepers have usually got you know a couple of you know, a couple of steps out and narrow the angle a little bit. It was a great save, um, and as you say, a key moment. That's what he's there for. That's what he does. I loved afterwards both Goldson and, and Tavernier were right in celebrating with him, and he looked he, he kind of looked at both of them as if to say, "What I did, I saw the time." Um, you know, well, he's apparently, just, uh, according to his goalkeeper coach, he doesn't like being touched. Um, ah, okay. We all know that that's not strictly true. Depends who's touching. <laughs> Depends him, right? who's doing doing the touching and where, I suppose. Uh. Yeah. Um, well, no, that you know that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, looking at the way it can be sometimes. No, he just he had that look after the penalty save of you know I'm, I'm not getting beat today, and we see what what it was actually how they got their goal. Um, how it actually transpired what, what was the only way they were going to beat him he didn't have that much to do you know a penalty save obviously uh, brilliant and I'm not trying to play that down but aside from that there wasn't wasn't that much for McGregor really um, in terms of making saves I think he made one from an Edward strike that you'd have been disappointed if he'd not made it um, and that was about it wasn't it I mean I can't remember 
anything else. It certainly wasn't the usual going to Parkhead Rangers goalkeeper performance. Um, no. It didn't need that at all to be played so well. But obviously, it's Alan McGregor he inspires that confidence in front of him anyway. And when you've you get your goalkeeper making penalty saves like that, that just raises the whole team. Um, so that made that made a huge difference and a, a huge moment. And yeah, this won't be the last time we'll be talking about Alan McGregor making key saves. Let's be honest. Moving on to the midfield then, Andy um, Ryan Jack. Surprisingly, I don't think he'd had his, his best game and, and way below his usual standard in the first half, although I thought he was very good in the second half. Um, just his passing was off to the point where I wonder if maybe he was carrying a knock or something because it, it seemed to be more he was doing things he just doesn't normally do. Um, but, as I say, came on to a game, you can always rely on him. And I thought the other two were, were magnificent yesterday. We really need to value Stephen Davis. It's easy sometimes because he's so quiet and just so the way he gets on with it. Someone made a great point uh, in our chat last night where they said, you'll notice that Brown never starts his shite with him because there's no point. You know, Davis is just not going to react. He is such a good professional. He was sublime. And it, and it was it's the dirty side of the game that he, he's so good at. He's, um, and I, I can't really remember him being like his first time round. He was a great player for his first time round, but he seems to have added this kind of, uh, whether it's because he's dropped back a wee bit, but he just picks up scraps just when players think they're getting away from the other midfielders or Jack or Kamara don't, don't make it. In steps Davis, no a big thunderous tackle, just nips it off somebody's toe and then we're away again. He was absolutely brilliant yesterday. And I thought Kamara was unsung hero yesterday because he had a good game, good on the ball. But what I thought he'd done exceptionally well yesterday is he completely and utterly nullified uh, the great, maybe no great, but, hope, but he completely and utterly nullified Frank Pong because Frank Pong was the massive uh, attacking force that we were told was uh, the next best thing. And they were giving him a lot of the ball because he had a lot of the space because we were allowing it. But then what would happen is Kamara would just step wide and he wasn't even putting a tackling. He was just covering the ground so well that Frimpong was then having to say to him, well, I either attack this guy and take him on or a, a cut inside. And he actually shot it for most of the game and he was cutting inside. And Kamara was the reason for that. I thought Kamara was brilliant. And the midfield three over the last, I don't know, maybe six, seven weeks um, have been exceptionally good because they know their role so well. Jack would push it wide. Kamara pushes it wide left. And Davis just patrols the middle. Um, and they've interchanged at times as well. Um, I, th- I thought they were fantastic and then you got a wee cameo for Arfield when he came on for the last 10 minutes as well mm-hmm. which is um, is the norm for him now he's, he, although he's not been the be- his best this season the last couple of weeks when he's dropped back a wee bit in the midfield you always know that you can trust Arfield in that position Adam the front three I thought they were fantastic again yesterday and people had been moaning about Kent and Aribo honestly if you've got a problem with either of them I'm not sure this is a sport for you because they are absolutely tremendous footballers. And in Kent's case, this is what we all thought. This is what we all said. This guy has got that Albertian ability to turn it on against this mob. He hates them. He revels in playing against them. And I thought he was brilliant. As for Aribo, he's getting better all the time. People need to remember his age and he's settling into this quirky, strange wee league of ours. But the touch, of course, is the bit that everyone will remember. But his movement, his inter-lighting play was was just utterly sublime. I can't uh, I can't listen to criticism. I can't, to be honest. I just think it's uh, I just think it's crazy. Um, uh, it's 
he's just one of those players that it's quite clear he's a a luxury that you just need to embrace. And when he gets the ball, chances are he's going to try and make something happen. Yes, he might something might not come off, and he might try one two flick too many. But you just need to enjoy players like that. I kind of I'm more than happy to give them a pass. Um, in terms of maybe a misplaced pass or trying to come a bit deep to get the ball, he just wants to get involved. He wasn't quite as explosive in this game um, as he was in maybe the uh, the game last uh, December. Um, I, I felt like it was a bit more disciplined. He was looking to maybe try and find pockets of space and try and attack where where Celtic weren't expecting him to. I thought it was a, a disciplined performance with him and he's obviously very, very dangerous on the break and he's good at, at picking a pass. Aribo, I thought, was quiet. Um, in the first half an hour or so um, he was a little bit I thought there was a wee bit where I was concerned that he was getting bullied a wee bit too off the ball a little bit too easily you can kind of understand that it's maybe not his type of game in terms of the physicality etc but certainly as the game grew on I thought he grew into the role he was tracking back a bit more effectively and you're right that when he takes that ball down out of the sky and, and plays the pass that's huge it's a, it's a different kind of player in that role than we've seen anybody do really in Scotland so it's probably um, something quite unique I'm not sure Celtic were really expecting that kind of player to be playing up there and cutting in on the left like that as well I, I thought both of them were brilliant and you did mention the front three we, we do need to talk about Morelos I thought once again yeah we, we do he was brilliant but there is undoubtedly a thing in his head about a goal he, he needs an Edward style goal that just hits off him and goes in and then he'll be flying but his overall game he ragged all those two he did, and I, I put that tweet out, which was kind of half-fishing about uh, Christopher Ayer. He's the best centre-half to have never had a good game against us in his life. I think he, he's one of these great white hopes. He's, he's very, very overrated, I think, by uh, by Celtic fans and players. I'm not I'm not denying that he's a, he's a very good player, and I'm sure we'll go in and get him a lot of money, but any time I see him up against Morelos, he gets an absolute pasting. Um, he looks like Bambi on ice any time he goes near him, and both of them, Andy, we said in the game, they both just looked absolutely terrified. We could just have lumped balls up to Morelos all day, to be honest, if that's what we want to do. Down those channels, they've not handled that for 18 months. Um, back to Boyata and Simunovic, um, when uh, Rodgers was there, they, they can't handle it. He gets the ball and he gets his, he gets his bum out and they've just got no idea what to do. And nine times out of ten, um, he gets past them. It's just, I, I don't even know whether it's a mental block or if it's just unlucky or frustration. But you're right, he just needs a slaff to go in. And I think once once one of those goes in, he'll get a couple. I think once he gets one in a game, he'll get four. Genuinely, I think he'll just go <laughs> nuts and it'll be an absolute, well, ragdolling again. But let's talk then about the reaction. Now, we know how this works. We're all long in the tooth, the, this group of, of bears. I don't think any of us are going to the dancing tonight, shall we put it that way. I might be doing you a disservice, Adam, because you're probably still bloated from yesterday. <laughs> no, I, that's why I won't be going yet. Yeah, okay. Um, but we know how this works. If we beat Celtic, then there has to be a reason other than that we're better than them at football. It's usually the referee. That's the one they go for. But even they know that they can't really point to Clancy yesterday. So we haven't had a rerun of, of what happened to John Beaton last year. We've had instead other meltdowns, some of which are so unbelievable that it reinforces my belief that there's no point us trying to predict them because they think in a way that we are not capable of thinking. We use reason and logic. It's the way we're brought up. They use imagination and I want this to be true, therefore if I say it enough, it will be true. 
My favourites included um, Honey Monster style idiot John Hartson um, suggesting <laughs> that he didn't like Stephen Gerrard's handshake with Neil Lennon at the end because uh, Stevie G gave him a high five kind of thing or slapped the hand rather than uh, shook his hand. Look, beating up on John Hartson for being a moron is a, a little bit like shooting Bambi's maw, but it never stopped the Hunters. So, honest to God, this guy is genuinely as much use as a used condom that has been thrown away. He is a complete and utter fuckwit, but he's not alone. Um, and with a hat tip to the wonderful Kerrydale Meltdown, um, on Twitter, which collects some of the more idiotic Celtic comments on social media. It's at Kerry and you really should follow it. Um, let's talk about some of their, their best ones from yesterday. Um, first of all, this before the match, class line out. I think you mean line up, mate. Going for the jugular. You love to see it. My three-year-old daughter predicted 4-0. I think she may be right. Later that day from the same account, cheer Celtic, daughters in tears. Yeah, of course she is. Of course she is. <laughs> the classic that we get. Cheers, Celtic kicked out the hoose. Yeah. <laughs> always, always good. Um, uh, hearing Andy Walker has been arrested for pleasuring himself in the commentary box after Kent scored. I mean, <laughs> I, like honestly, that's what I mean. We just can't. We can't figure it. We don't have the the ability. To think so erratically and wildly. Raheem Sterling gets berated for a fun tattoo. Will Ryan Kent get the same thing for making a gun sign to the Celtic fans? No. Oh, that one's uh, some reaction to that, isn't it? Well, we're, um, we're just going to come on to it, but before yeah. we before we do, Dubai, they fuckers should be doing Blackpool Beach doing shuttles, getting taught how to up their work rate. <laughs> <laughs> My four-year-old kid was asking me why that guy was slitting his throat. No, <laughs> right. No, 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 he wasn't. Let's uh, let's not kid ourselves on this one. Um, if Rangers play the way Celtic, uh, if Rangers play Celtic the way they did in the Betfred Cup final, they'll get destroyed. That was before the match from Michael Gannon in the Daily Record. Yes. I don't buy Rangers' defence of Morelos's gesture at Celtic Park yesterday. He's not in South America. Well, okay, but he is South American. And then there came, uh, shall we say, gesture gate several times. The first one was Fraser Aird, former Rangers player who was in the away end yesterday. Can I just be the first to say, how do you get a ticket, eh? But uh, I'm, <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. But uh, he was uh, on camera giving Celtic fans the wanker sign and his club, Cove Rangers, announced that his contract was due to expire on January the 1st and he would be leaving early, like a day early. Um, clearly... Uh, a bit of craving thing from them. Unfortunately, he's come out and apologised. You were just supporting your team, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with what you did, Fraser. So don't, in any way, and don't ever apologise to these fucks. But you'd none to apologise for. The main ones, Alex, were of course Ryan Kent um, with his uh, kind of shooting fingers celebration, and yes. at the end, Alfie, as he was walking off, gave the the throat slitting gesture, which clearly meant the game's done. But Celtic being Celtic and needing something, anything desperately to cling on to that suggested that it just wasn't because we beat them and were better than them, uh, are actually claiming that those gestures are threatening. Now, 
I would be worried if a guy waved a gun at me. I really would. But as far as I'm aware, nobody's ever been shot by a pair of fingers. <laughs> and I never, when I saw Robbie Keane use that celebration, which Robbie Keane did every single time he scored the goal in his career, think, my God, he wants to shoot me. This is no. victory on an epic scale, even for them, Alex. I remember, David, my very first live heart in hand, you turned to me, the first question, and basically asked me to explain Celtic fans. I don't think I've ever got over that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so difficult. Um, the, the reaction to the Kent celebration is kind of hilarious, really. Um, my boy has spent today being quite patronising for a 19-year-old, and I believe he gave Andy a wee bit of this on Twitter as well, um, talking about how it kind of relates back to Biggie and Tupac and all that sort of stuff. You know the sort of stuff that Ryan Kent loves to listen to, essentially, um, all that rap nonsense, David. You know you know what I mean. Uh, we're, we're too old for that. Oh, yeah. Too old. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, I think it was... Along those lines, I can't imagine he was exactly thinking about it very much. You know what I mean? Sort of thing he probably does in training um, when he scores an absolute peach in aims at someone. Uh, nobody seemed to really care about it. You know, wasn't if I put it this way, if it was in any way inflammatory, I'm sure Sky would have mentioned it in their commentary. Andy Walker would have been all over it. Uh, but the Celtic fans, so desperate were they to be offended by it. All around, all I could see, what was that? What did that mean? What was he referring to? Because they're so desperate for it to be something offensive. Yeah, it's that know? assumption that it must be something offensive because it I'm desperate for it to be. Yeah, it must have been. My personal favourite was Dominic Diamond, by the way, um, asking, saying that Kent celebration was quite uh, quite strange. Bless him. Bless him. Yeah, we'll turn to your flying spaghetti monster, Dominic, and we'll call him the strange one. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. The reaction to that was ludicrous. The reaction to Morelos is less so because it's expected, if you get my meaning. Um, Alfie's not really allowed to kind of breathe in and out without people criticising him for it. So um, we bit more expected in that respect. Um, I'm very, very glad that Rangers called that out specifically in the statement uh, because that was uh, that was needed I think, Rangers needed mm-hmm. to kind of go on the offensive with that one um, in particular because it's Morelos and he will be judged differently from everybody else but yeah, they were just desperate to be offended by it and it was quite, a, quite, quite hilarious when you consider who their manager is <laughs> what he has aimed at Rangers fans oh, for years now and we are continually told that's our fault because we're giving them all the abuse and he's allowed to react like that. You consider all of that and then they go away greeting because we beat them and a couple of players made a couple of seemingly offensive gestures. Um, I think we're well within our rights to go and tell them we fucked themselves, frankly. Well, as Alex said, there's a video um, on social media which has been picked up by uh, ITN Say, showing Alfredo Morelos being racially abused. Um, Celtic supporters in the crowd are clearly heard to be mouthing uh, a racist abuse at him. And a Celtic spokesman, when contacted by ITN, said, um, we are aware of the gesture he made at Celtic supporters coming off the field. However, we have not received any reports of racist abuse. If we do, we will act on it. Um, 
Well, firstly, the fact that you're commenting on it means you have received a fucking report on it, you complete and utter dick. Oh, and by the way, that is classic victim blaming. Andy, this is a club with no shame. They're just such virtue sing on wanks, they really are. I mean, the, the, the there's just nothing they will not latch on to. I mean, Palestine, it would have been apartheid in the 80s, food banks, fucking everything, they just latch on to it. And now it's gun crime and people getting slashed because Brian Kent, now I'm a huge rap fan. Obviously. I've got all the cassettes, MC Hammer, Snow Informer, I've got them all. Many, so I know my many, many a time I've heard you belt up, here comes a hot stepper on a bus. Oh, I, I know that. <laughs> I was going to so, say, I. Big white trainers, that's, that's your Andy. <laughs> so I know all about signals. Uh, and do you know what? When I seen that yesterday, I thought, you know, that's something to do with rap. And <laughs> <laughs> how can you fucking take offence to that? I mean, really, how can you? Because you're really? a Tim and that's what you do. You're just disposed to it. I would say genetically disposed, but when you look into their crowd, genetics is not a strong point, and I think that that just comes out over and over again. And it's, Adam, it's just patently fucking ridiculous. But I think there is a more serious point there with Celtic, as, as Andy says, who set themselves up as a pious moral club. Well, there you go. There's genuine racism coming from your fans, and their first instinct is to blame the victims. Something incidentally that has allowed them to get away with something rather shameful for the last 40 years. It's funny as well, you've got the usual suspects in the in the media out as well. One of the one of the Sun reporters whose name I can't remember was basically focusing on Morelos' gesture and ignoring anything about racism that uh, is happening to him, which is which sums it all up. And I think Tom English has been doing similar as well. I think you're spawn, they're so pious. I said to Andy on about five different occasions yesterday, they're just so weird. You look around and... Oh. and the music that's played at halftime, there was hymns getting played over the tannoys, and it, it was just quite a surreal, um, surreal experience. Um, and when you think you're that pious and that holier than now, you probably just can't comprehend the fact that some of your fans might be assholes. Um, and it's just a really, really dangerous situation to get yourself in because you just can't reflect on yourself. You can't be true to yourself and say, actually, we ha- might have a problem here that we need to fix, and it'll just continue until someone gets seriously hurt or, or something happens that is beyond the pale. Um, but this comes for the top. I mean, what always sticks in my craw is Lowell at the AGM said something along the lines of, I can't make this exact phrase, but it was a case of uh, you, you can sometimes get lumped in with, with other clubs. And, and the insinuation was that they're above kind of criticism <laughs> and it's Rangers have got a problem for whatever was the kind of a topic of the day, whether it was sectarianism or, or fan behaviour, I don't know. But they actually portray this myth, it's not even a myth, it's an out-and-out lie that they don't have a problem with anything whatsoever, whether it's sectarianism, the fan behaviour, whatever. And that is then given a free pass to the arseholes in their, their club, most notably the, 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 the those fantastic boys in the corner that dress up in paramilitary uniform, because it was just a mass of green jackets yesterday. It was like a army thing, me off sale. <laughs> and, uh, they, they, they cosplay. They cosplay as the IRA. They don't even cosplay as terrorists uh, who won. So, so they, they then see themselves. Well, well, chief executives kind of turn a blind eye to this because it's not us. It's not us. It's got a problem. There are no self awareness whatsoever, and that's a big problem because um, it just exacerbates when you have things like yesterday. So. My question to Celtic would be, you can hear in that video somebody shouting something, something bastard to Morelos a number of times. 
tell me what is in front of that word bastard. Is it black? Is it orange? Whatever it is, tell me what it is because I want to hear you defend it. It's black. <laughs> it's quite, quite obvious what it is. And he, as you say, it's not a one-off. It's it's constant. Um, will anything be done about it? No. It will go quiet and the media will forget it. Whereas, uh, you know, there's a daft 15-year-old boy makes a, a, a piss-poor remark to Scott Brown and the fucking government are getting involved. And that's, that's Scotland 2019. But we're entering a new decade and hopefully things will change for us on and off the park. Uh, we've been here for, for 10 years ourselves nearly now. We started in the summer of 2010. Been a few ups and downs, uh, <laughs> to say, in this decade. But we're about to go into our second, and I think it's fair to say we've got our Rangers back. Thank you to my guest tonight, the wonderful Mr Alex Staff. Thank you. The splendid Mr Adam Thornton. Cheers, David. Uh, one wee point before I go. Actually, Cammy sat Cammy sat next to me for the first two uh, Rangers Rangers Celtic games of the season, and we get beat both times. So from now on, Cammy is allowed nowhere near me, and I'm sitting with Andy for every single game. Thank you. That's just a blatant attempt to get Andy to get your ticket. That's true. Yep, I told him uh, that yesterday. We see through it, but if it works, you know what I'm like um, on daft superstition. So go for it. And of course, a tremendous Mister Andy McGowan. Adam, fuck off, you suki bastard. <laughs> 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 thank you all for listening we will be back in a couple of weeks once the season gets done, three weeks I think once the season kicks off again until then you know where you can uh, keep up to date with all things Rangers, that's Heart and Hand on Patreon we're, we're rapidly closing in on 5,000 subscribers over there so please come and join the party because it looks as though it's going to be a very big one very soon, thanks for listening, bye <laughs>